Morning, everyone. Great to see you. It's been such a great morning of really encountering God and having his presence so close to us. And uh, we're just going to continue in that sense now as we look at God's word and what he wants to say to us this morning. So we're going to continue our series that we began a few weeks back called All of Us. All of us. And this series is about the key and most important relationships in our lives and how God sees those relationships. So we've had um, children and parents, and we've got husbands and wives to come. And the other relationship mentioned in this passage that we're looking at from the New Testament letter of Ephesians is about workers and the people that employ them. And the reason that we called this series All of Us is that so that we could understand that each of these messages is really relevant and important for every single one of us who is here today. So even if we're not a husband or we're not a parent or we're not in paid work at the moment, there are great principles in all of these verses that are going to really help us in our relationships, and they're really going to help us to lead other people as well and influence them so that their relationships can be right as well. You want to be able to tell people and to show people how they can be great parents or great husbands and wives or great workers and great employers. So that's why we really feel that it's important we understand that all of these relationships are important for all of us to understand. So, actually, we live in a time, this series, this is exactly the right time for this series, for us to listen to this, you know. We, we, just, we live in a time and in a generation and in a moment in our nation's history where we really need to have a, a revolution and a, a revelation of these relationships Actually, it's God that wants to bring revolution to these relationships. You know, we, this is a time where we need to hear God's voice and what God thinks about these things and not what society and what the television says about all these relationships. Isn't that right? We really need God's voice on these things. We need to not just know what they are in our heads, but to understand them in our hearts for them to go deep inside us and for us to be able to teach other people as well. Did you know that? You, you need to be able to teach these things to other people too. So we need to capture them for them to go right inside of us. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Clive spoke on what's happening in the nation at the moment, and we've just um, done what his encouragement was from um, Pastor Ian in Leeds, who had a, a real revelation. God spoke to him very simply and said, the way to remember me in your nation at this time, as you're praying for the nation in the lead-up to the general election, is to very simply remember me in homes, through taking the bread and wine every day between now and the election. Very simple. Everyone can do it. You can even do it on your own. You can do it in your family. You can do it with your city group. You can do it at work. And though that very simple thing is going to change our nation. It's going to remember Jesus because he doesn't want to be forgotten. And it's no coincidence that this series on relationships has happened at just that time for us, actually, because the two things are completely connected together. So the relationships in our lives are, they're making a a way in front of us. They're setting the direction for our lives. Did you know that? 
our relationships are making a direction for our lives, the way that we are in our homes when the door is closed and the way that we are in our work when the boss isn't looking at us, all those things, they're they're setting the path for our future. And so it's really important. And so actually the things that God wants to do at this time, they're going to change. If we will receive change in these areas, we're going to direct our nation a better way. If our homes are different and our workplaces are different, we're going to change the course of our nation at this time. Isn't that amazing? You can have more influence on our nation than politicians can and that the media can and and people who feel that they're pulling the strings of power. Well, you and I have power to change the course of our nation and our nation's future. And it's through really getting to grips with what God wants our relationships to look like. It will begin there in our lives. Amen? Okay, so look at the person next to you. You need to say to them, you can change our nation today. Good. Okay, now you need to look at the person on the other side and say, but only if you take notes and make changes. Okay, let's, let's read the passage that we're going to look at this morning. So this is Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 5 to 8. It's going to appear on the screen behind me. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Father, this morning, we, we want to change our nation by being changed ourselves. Lord, we want to make a difference in our families and in our homes by receiving from your word and not just hearing it, but making changes in our lives that impact on the future of our own family and on our generation and our society and our nation. Lord, this morning, by your spirit, speak to our hearts open up the eyes of our understanding so that we don't just hear words and then they fall on ground and they just disappear during the week, but that they go deep inside us and we understand them. Lord, thank you this morning for every single person sitting here, old and young, new or who's been here for many years. There is something powerful and sharp you want to say to every single heart. And Lord, we want to receive it. God, open our hearts to understand. Let us see what it means for us to take these words and make them real in our lives and give us power to make change, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today's message, all of us as workers, all of us as workers, and it's about how we are and how we relate to those who are in charge of us or who that we have some sort of responsibility to answer to. Now, We could talk about all sorts of aspects of work this morning, actually. There's loads of stuff you could preach on about work. I'm sure there's a whole series of it somewhere that we'll do another time. But um, this series that we're looking at at the moment is really all about our relationships. That's at the heart of all of these godly relationships. So we're going to think particularly, how do I relate to the person that I need to, I owe a responsibility to in my work? How do I connect to that person? And how do they connect to me? 
Because all of the different talks in this series have at their heart the very same message. And it's the message that Pastor Clive shared in the very first week. And it's this. Our relationship with other people affects our relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with other people affects our relationship with the Lord. And the converse is also true. Our relationship with God should affect our relationship with other people. So like Pastor Clive said a few weeks back, it's not okay to say, well, here's my life with the Lord and everything's going fantastic and it's all great. And then over here, oh yeah, there's all sorts of problems at home, but that's okay because it's going great with God. Well, you know, God doesn't see those two things as far apart. He sees them as one and the same. He sees us together with him. And you know, that's, it's encouraging for us. We could see that as, oh, well, I feel discouraged because I can see these things need to change in my life and my relationships. But you can be encouraged because your actions with God will make a difference to your relationships. When you take action with God and your walk with God, it's going to change your home and your workplace. Isn't that good? It'll make a difference. So you don't need to feel powerless. You've got something you can do about those relationships and those places. You can listen to what we're saying in these series and you can take action. It will make a difference to those things. Thank God for that. So these things are, they are a a way of telling us how we're doing in our lives with God. They're like, I I tried to find something that wasn't related to the weather, to give you an example, but British people seem to be so obsessed with the weather that I wanted to say that these relationships that we're looking at, they're like a barometer or a weather vane or a thermostat, but all of them had something to do with weather or temperature. So I decided to ditch all of those and say that these relationships, if you're in healthcare, this is good. These relationships, they're a set of obs. They're a set of obs. Okay, so in healthcare, a set of obs is something, it's, a, it's observations of the patient. It's something you do on the outside of the patient. You come and you do it, and then it tells you what's happening on the inside of the patient. Okay? So we're going to have, um, Paul is going to come and help us demonstrate this, and Antonio is going to get how, her obs skills, because as you know, GPs do obs all the time as they go around doing their patient care. So um, I do, actually, it'd be great if someone could bring a chair. Nathan, I don't suppose you could grab a spare chair for me. Great. Okay, so here's, um, here's Paul. Do you notice you've not even been voluntold anymore? It's just, you're just kind of offered up. <laughs> okay, okay, so here's Paul. We want to know how Paul's doing on the inside. So Tone is coming to visit him as his GP. Easy to get home visit, by the way, if you're at Tone's practice. <laughs> yep. Okay, here we go. So... Oh, look at this. <laughs> Obs have clearly changed since I learned about them 10 years ago. You never put a needle in people's ears. Green. All right, all right man. You threw the first one. <laughs> you were coughing in the car on the way in today, actually. Ooh. This looks fancy. Okay, I'm going to call a crash call in a second. Okay. 
There's, um, I'm sure there's some, but let's move on to the next one. Don't worry, man. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Sats, 98%. Pulse, 92. A little bit on the high side for someone who's sitting down. Needs to get a bit more exercise. Sitting down in a public... You don't get nervous at stuff like that. You can't use that excuse. Okay, here we go. Ah, oh, this is the key one now. What is Paul's blood pressure? <laughs> there is a gadget, but as, as an engineer, I hope you'll appreciate that the manual method is always the best. Okay, blood pressure unreportable. That's fine. Let's give, <laughs> let's give Paul a clap. <laughs> well, who knew that picture was going to be prophetic for our lives? So this, these are things measured on the outside, easily done every day, that are telling us something is happening on the inside. Okay? The, these relationships, husband and wife, parents and children, workers... And employers, they are your obs. They're telling you about what's happening on the inside of your heart with the Lord. So easy, easy thing to do. You can check them easily and it will help you to understand how those things are going. Good. So today we're going to see that our relationship with God should impact our workplace. Our relationship with God should impact our workplace and How we are in our workplace will affect our relationship with him. How we act in our workplace affects our relationship with God. So we're going to understand that this morning. Now, to help us understand the passage a little bit more, it is good to understand and to know about the times that the Apostle Paul was writing in when he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. And he starts off by addressing slaves And, you know, you might think, well, that's a bit of an insulting way to talk about someone who goes to work. And hopefully we don't feel like slaves in our workplace. But in the time that Paul was writing, he would have been speaking to real slaves the way that we would understand them from from times gone by. And sadly, still from some parts of the world today. So when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, there would have been real slaves there. Either people who'd had to sell themselves because they had debt and they needed to work for someone else in order to pay off their debt, or they'd been taken into captivity, and now they were stuck there. So these were people who were not free, like we are, to leave jobs, to move to another job. Um, And some people have said that Paul was saying slavery was okay by giving instructions to these people in this letter. But actually, he never says anything like that at all. He never says it's okay that they are who they are and where they are. At no point does he say that that's a good thing. But nevertheless, Paul has something to say even to the slaves in the church in Ephesus. He has, Paul tells them, God's got something special for you to do, a special role and special things that I want you to do. And he addresses them 
in, individually. So, you know, uh, they would have been reading out this letter in the church in Ephesus, and the leaders would have been at the front, and then, you know, it would have been like, okay, cup of tea's finished, chapter 5, page 5, this is what Paul's got to say. Okay, something for the husbands, all the husbands, sit up and pay attention. Something for the wives, got something for the um, parents, something for the kids. All the kids stop playing on their iPads and put them down and pay attention for one verse. So Paul, they're actually reading out this letter to the church. And in that time, you know, slaves were people who were completely invisible. They were not given any sort of importance in society at all. So they would have been not treated well, not even really acknowledged as part of the conversation of what was happening in society. But that's not how God treats them in the church. When the leaders of the church read this out, they would have said, slaves, God's got something to say to you. God's got something to say to you. Isn't that amazing? And in the church, wherever they were sitting, they would have all paid attention. These people who were in captivity working for other people, God's got something precious for you to do. He's got a way for you to live in your, in your life the way it is at the moment. And so God gives honor to those people. He gives them a set of instructions. So it mattered to God how the slaves in the church in Ephesus behaved. It mattered to him. He was concerned for them and for their behavior, even though they were in that position. So how much must it matter to God that we honor him in our work when we have so much freedom and choice compared to those men and women who lived in that day? God cares how we act in our workplace. So... Really, this is for us. If, if we've got someone that we need to answer to, we could call them a boss or a manager or, or someone who you work for maybe in a home and you work for the sake of those people. So you might not be paid for that, but you might work for the sake of them. And for the rest of us who don't have that situation in our lives, then we need to listen to because maybe we'll be in employed work in the future or maybe we'll need to teach other people about that. And this is not just about paid work either. You can be a volunteer and have a boss. You can be in a sports team and you can have a coach. You can be self-employed and then you owe a, a duty to the person that's paying you as well. So there are all kinds of different ways in which this relationship matters. So I'm just going to mention three things from this passage that we can do and then one thing that we will receive. Three things that we can do and one thing that we will receive. And they all begin with R to prove that it's from God as well. So number one. We're going to be reverent. Number one, we're going to be reverent at work. Now, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now, the version we read says respect. And I was going to use that for my point because it also begins with R, so it must be from the Lord too. So I thought, well, we could use respect. But, do you know, I, I wanted to use this word revere. This is so much closer to, to what God says when he wrote this letter originally. Actually, the word respect has kind of lost a little bit of meaning, I think, in the generation that we live in. There's, you're asked to respect so much now, aren't you? you know, it's, it's written on the football banners as respect, and there's respect for this. And you know, you're asked to like, respect the trainers and respect the haircuts. And you know, I, I, once we were asked to respect the trainers and the haircut, I thought, okay, respect is not the word that we're looking for here. We're looking for something that talks deeper than that. We're looking for something that's more than that. And actually, the word revere, it means a really, a really deep respect. It, it's something that's not every day. It's something that we're not over familiar with. It's something that we kind of don't joke around with. Actually, you know, originally, the, word, the words in the Greek 
where we're asked to honor our employer, it says with fear and trembling, with fear and trembling. And you know that expression is used elsewhere in the Bible to talk about how we would approach the Lord with fear and trembling. So this is not a bad fear. You know, it's like an honor and a reverence that we would come before God. Well, that's the same word that Paul uses here to understand how we should approach our work. Isn't that amazing? With fear and trembling, we're asked to approach it. Now, in my line of work, when you're a trainee um, as a blood doctor, there's a special type of chemotherapy that you have to prescribe. Now, all chemotherapy is very important, and you have to learn how to do it really well. There's lots of um, very important training that you have to go through, but there's a special different type of chemo that we have to prescribe. And actually, it's so special that you're not allowed to do it until all sorts of special conditions have been fulfilled where you work. So when you arrive at a new hospital, if you work somewhere new, you, can't, you just can't do it. Even if you prescribe all the other chemo for the patients, you're not allowed to do this one. This one, there's a special register at the hospital, and your name has to be on the register. Otherwise, you can't do it. You're out. So you have to wait until your name's put on the register. And the reason that it's taken so seriously is because quite, quite a few years back now, there were some very serious accidents that happened with it just out of busyness and out of it being too much part of the everyday. And so people said, right, we need to stop this being part of the everyday familiarity. We need to make it different so that people understand that it's very, very important to get it right. And so you have to, you have to watch this video. And in the video, they show you what happened in the mistakes that happened. And everyone always feels terrible at the end of it because you think, oh, I didn't even spot the mistake. It was so everyday and so real. It just looked normal to me. And you think, oh, I don't want to do that. And then after you've done that and you've watched the video, then you have to go through all this training and then someone signs your name on the register and then you're on. And then after that, there's, there's a special, when you prescribe it, there's a special pad. It's like handwritten, you know, paper and pens and stuff, those things we used to have in the olden days. And we've just gone paper light at, at our hospital and there's almost no paper left, except that we've had to generate more paper for the extra things that nobody thought about. So the patient has this funny collection of pieces of paper that are all brought together with a paper clip and they're called notes. But they're temporary notes, and that's very important because we are paper light. So, um, the, but this is all different. This is a completely separate pad of paper. It's in triplicate. Does anyone remember that? That's where you write on the top, and it co- comes through on the back, and then on another sheet of paper as well. And they go off to faraway places that nobody really knows where those extra copies go. But it's very important. And then after you've prescribed it, you have to. There's a signature on every line. You prescribe it, you write your name and all the stuff on it, your phone number, address, so that they can come and get you. And then the person that takes it in, they have to sign. The person that picks it up again, they have to sign. And then the person that makes it in the pharmacy, they have to sign underneath. You end up with all these signatures. Then when you go and pick it up, you have to sign. And as you give it through into the hatch in the pharmacy, this person comes from the other side of the pharmacy. They put the, the bag through. They put the piece of paper, they sign, because there's so much signing. You sign again, say you saw him sign. It comes through, the hatch closes, and then you get this sort of look. Good luck. And you're like, (laughs) okay, thanks. And then after the bag, it goes in a special box. It's not allowed to be carried in a normal chemo box. It goes in a special box. And so here it comes in the box, and then you come down the corridor like this (laughs) with the box, and you arrive and put the box down in the room. And before you go in and see the patient, you have to keep your hands still because that wouldn't help them very much. So you put the thing down and then the nurse who's in there, it's usually a nurse who's checking. They have to be on the list and you have to check that she's on the list or he's on the list. And he has to check that you're on the list and then everyone's checked that everyone's on the list. 
and then we're all okay. And then before the box is opened, you have to get the patient ready. The room is quiet, and nothing else is allowed to happen in that room. There's a sign on the door. All the phones have to be diverted. You can't get anyone disturbing you when you're doing this. You get the patient ready, and you put in a special needle. And then it comes to actually getting it out. You open the box, put the thing down, and then the bag comes out. And inside the bag, there's another bag. The nurse cuts the bag, drops the bag onto something, and you get the other bag, and then you have to cut that bag and drop that one out. And then at the end of that, there's a syringe and needle with something that we use every single day, all the time. But it's a special thing because we need to remember that this particular process is special. And so then, by the time, if you've got any nerves left, you take the cap off and then apply it to the back of the patient. And then you try and attach it to the back. And then it all goes in. And then you sign and she signs. And then at the end, the patient signs to say that you all signed and everyone did everything that was needed to be signed. And so... As part of this, we understand that actually all those things are no more, they're no different than the other everyday things that we do. But the outcome that we're looking for is different. We are concerned for the outcome. And so even though this happens every day in the hospital, nobody forgets how important it is to do all these things properly. We revere the process. It never becomes every day because we all remember that the outcome we're looking for is something different than from everything else. And so it is in our, in our work for God in our workplaces. Although we do it every day and we are familiar with all the people, in our hearts, the outcome that we are looking for is not the same as everybody else. We are there for a different reason. And as a result, the every day is not for us. We are those who revere our employers out of reverence for God. So... What does that really mean? Does it mean that if someone you know, approaches the boss, you kind of go over and rugby tackle them? Don't touch the boss! She's holy and revered! But no, you don't have to do that. Please don't do that. But um, there are a few things that we can do. I'm going to make some suggestions about how we can revere our workplace. And these are just a few. You could, you could easily come up with your own, I'm sure. But I'm going to make four suggestions for us very quickly. I'm going to whip through them of ways of revering our workplace, and our employer. It's our relationship with them and them with us that we're looking for here. Okay, so here they are, just quickly. They all begin with turn. These, these are, these, you're you're going to remember all of these. Okay, number one, turn up. Turn up. You can write that down. Turn up for work. I don't know if you saw the article on um, the BBC News website. It might have been on the news, actually. It was um, about four or five days ago. It said, um, UK workers pull sickies to avoid going to work. Two in five adults would fake a sick day if they needed a day off, a Comres survey for the BBC suggests. That's 40%. When questioned on their morals and values, people admitted to lying about sickness, stealing, and taking credit for other people's work. It's anonymous, obviously. (laughs) So there we go. Hey, do you know what? God wants us to be people that turn up for work. You can revere your employer and your boss by turning up, you know. Um, Turn up on time, turn up and be ready. Honor God by honoring your workplace. And remember, you're not just turning up for your boss, you're turning up for the Lord. That's what you're turning up for. So if you need time off for some reason, you don't need to pretend to be sick. This is really important. 40% of people would do that. You know, we're not like that. So if you're you're ill, fine, but we don't need to do that. Do you know, when we try and control circumstances like that, actually we rob God of an opportunity to help us, and we rob ourselves of an opportunity to receive his help. If you need time off for something, ask God for the breakthrough. 
and go in and ask for it or ask God to change the circumstances or ask God to give you the boldness to speak to your employer. Go and let God do the miracle. And not only that, you know, but we need to teach our children to be the same as well. So we need to teach our children to help your children not to have to pretend to be sick to avoid something, even at school. We need to teach our children to do that, you know. Tone is really good at this, right? If the children come to me in the morning, they're like, oh, I feel ill. And I'm like, oh, I'll rearrange my day to help you. And so, uh, of course, sometimes they are really ill. But sometimes you know that they're not really ill. And actually, they're, they're worried about something. They're trying to avoid something. And Tone is great at doing this. Tone's my wife. And... Um, so she checks, first of all, the children aren't ill, and obviously she's got extra obs that she can do on them just to make sure that they're not Right, you've not got a temperature. Get out of bed. No, she doesn't really say that. Um, so she, Tone will sit with them. She'll talk through with them what's the problem that you're worried about today. She'll find out what the problem is. We'll pray together and say, God, really help us with this problem. And then after that, she'll take them in. And it's always, I, always used, I always ask her to take them in, because if I take them in, then they cry at the gate. I'm like, oh, come on, then we'll go home. <laughs> but Tone's really good. She says, God's going to help you. You can do this today. And, you know, our children have really, they've been so helped by that, by knowing that asking God for help will, will make a difference in their day. And whenever they come home, they will always tell us how it is that God made a difference or how, what happened, what changed. That thing wasn't on. That person didn't come in. Whatever it might be, God makes the difference for them. And so we give God the opportunity to make the difference for us and for our children in their lives. Okay? So number one, turn up. Number two, turn out. Turn out well. Have you ever heard that expression? Oh, it turns out really well. As you can see today, I have turned out well for the sake of preaching for you. I put this point down and and then I thought, right, must wear something different to do this in. (laughs) So I've turned out well for you today. Well, I thought I turned out well. Tone wasn't there, so I might find out how I actually looked after (laughs) But you know what? I was doing it for the Lord. So that's what really matters. Okay, so, you know, if you do an office job, turn up well for work. Look good for God, okay? If you, you know, wear smart clothes, iron them, comb your hair. If you work with your hands, try and start the day at least looking good, you know? So with a, you know, with a good, good look about you when you turn up at people's houses if you do a job with your hands. If you wear a uniform and your employer asks you to wear a uniform, wear it well. Be proud to wear it. If everyone else turns it the other way round or, you know, graffitis it or wears it, wear your uniform well. You're wearing it for the Lord. Even if you don't think that your employer deserves that, the Lord deserves it. So wear it for him. My dad was a professional footballer in his early career. And when I would go to sports fixtures, I would be made to pull my socks up. Pull your socks up, son. And I was like, oh, dad, no one pulls their socks up because no one did pull their socks. It's just true. It was just not a cool thing to do. And so you would wear, you know, there'd be like one roll down and then there'd be one kind of, you know, it was the 80s, so (laughs) weird stuff was in. And so, but my dad said, hey, you're not ready to play until you've pulled those up. You turn up and you'd be ready the way you should be. You're honoring your team, you're honoring God, you're honoring your coach when you do that. So I was made to pull my socks up. So, and, you know, it's a really small thing, isn't it? But actually, it's an ob. You know how you're checking the temperature of the patient, it's telling you about the inside. Well, me turning up like that, it's telling me about the inside of my heart. So me changing that, it's so simple. It's just a small thing. You know, if we make these little changes in our lives, it affects our relationship with the Lord. Isn't that really good? You can make really simple and easy changes that will change your relationship with God. Okay, so turn, turn up, turn out well, okay? Turn in, get some rest in your life. 
so that you can not fall asleep on your desk when your boss is in the middle of giving you a set of instructions. Get some rest. You know, God cares that you rest. Do you know, actually, the Bible talks about this? In Psalm 127, it says, this is talking about efforts from people. It says, listen, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers are laboring in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen are standing guard in vain. And then listen to this, in vain you rise up early and stay up late toiling for food because the Lord grants sleep to those he loves. God wants you to be able to rest. So I'm not, now listen, I'm not saying it's never right to get up early or stay up late sometimes to help something happen with work or for other things in life. But, and certain times of life that might happen more. But in general, These verses are telling us that in our lives, we don't need to work excessive hours out of fear that we won't have enough. That's what these verses are talking about. It's talking about working out of fear that you won't have enough to provide for. And what God wants us to know is, I will provide for you. You don't need to get up, stay up all night long and get up all and work every hour that I send, excessively long hours, because you're afraid that you won't have enough because I'm going to provide for you. Amen? God's going to provide for you. You can rest. God rested. If God rested and he had the whole world to look after, then you can rest. So turn in. Turn in. Do you know that expression? Turn in. It's when you like go to bed. If you don't, that's why it's got turn in it. Just to tell you. Okay. And finally, turn around. So turn up, turn out, turn in and turn around. Now, do you know, the reason I use this is because I don't know if you know this expression. She turned around and said to me, or he turned around and said, and then they turned around and said, and then they turned around and said, and I turned around and said. Have you heard that expression? And there's just like a whole load of ballet happening in the story. What is happening with the turning around? And I, I thought this was just like uh, something that was like just going to pass in our generation. But do you know, in the Cambridge Dictionary, it's the, it was the first definition of turn around. was when someone says something and it's like shock. That's the definition of turnaround. It's become part of our national language. So it usually describes something where we're shocked or offended at what the person said because they said it, you know, so, and they didn't even think of us when they said it. Well, this is all about how we speak, right? It's about how we speak. So make a turnaround in your workplace and speak differently, okay? We need to speak differently in our workplaces. Everyone else might be complaining about the boss or the manager or whatever the company's done, but... And it doesn't mean you need to deny reality and say, no, that didn't happen. Sometimes people are the way they are and things do happen. But our job is to honor God in the way that we speak. We can do that much. Isn't that right? We don't need to be, he turned around and said, and she turned around, and I turned around and said, and then everyone turned around. Be less dizzy in your workplace. Stop turning around and just, if you, do you know what we say in our house? If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. If you can, that's a good start. If you can't say something good in the conversation, just don't say anything at all. Ask God for help to say something good. If you can't think of anything good, ask God for something good to say. Now, hey, Ben was talking to us last week, and he was talking about parents and saying, actually, some parents have not, in their, our relationships, have not earned lots and lots of respect out of the way they've behaved, and yet God expects us to honor them, the person that they are and the position that they hold because it honors him. Okay, And it's the same for our employers as well. God, They may not have earned and deserved the way that we decide and choose to speak. But do you know what? God is asking us to speak that way because we love him and honor him. That's why we speak well in our workplace. That's why we do that. It's because we love the Lord. And, so, and you know, that'll change, your, that'll change your boss. 
maybe they'll just get fired and someone else will get put in. I don't know what God will do, but God will make a difference in your workplace if you honor him. Changes will come. If you're in an unhappy place, changes will come from God. Let God make the difference. Okay, so number one, be reverent. And we've remembered our turns for being reverent. Number two, we're going to be real. We're going to be real. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Obey them not only when their eye is on you, to win their favor. A little while ago, I was doing something for church on my on a computer at home, and Ben noticed that it was a new shiny Apple MacBook laptop. I was t- clicking away on it really fast, dead good. And uh, Ben said, uh, oh, that looks great. Um, you know, where'd you get it from? And I said, oh, it works. You know, I've got it. I got it as a special project. I was like one of the only six people who got one. And he was like, wow, it's really cool. So, uh, and, you know, he said... Uh, he said, I'm really careful, actually, that I, tr- I try not to use work stuff for th- stuff that isn't works, actually. And um, I was like, oh. <laughs> Internally, you know, I was like, oh, yeah. So I didn't say anything. I was like, oh, yeah, well, actually, I'll tell you what I did say to him. I said, well, do you know what? I, 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 I use our gear, our house computer, which is getting like, the, the computer's getting like slower and slower and slower. Eventually, it just stopped the other month and we had to get something replaced. And so I was like, well, I've done tons of work for my work and for my employer on this stuff. So I sort of used them interchangeably. That was my excuse internally. So I was like, oh, I used them interchangeably. And Ben was like, oh, all right, then, yeah. And I don't know, maybe then was just like, Lord, I leave him to you. And then <laughs> left the house. But then after that, oh, I, was, I struggled with that then. I was like, oh, but this computer is really good and it's fast and it's, I like it, it moves. And our computer's like, oh, when it starts up. But, you know, I thought, he's right. My employer's eye is not on me. They can't see what I'm doing. Actually, I've got two bosses. One of them lives in Bristol and one of them lives in London. They're never going to come and see me using the computer to type up life class stuff or to do something for Citigroup. And do you know what? Actually, the other thing is I really don't think they'd care. It wouldn't surprise me if they also used their work laptop to do that. But it does matter to God. It does matter to God. that if Actually, if they were sitting right there with me, I probably wouldn't get out the stuff that they knew that I'd got from work and use it for my stuff at home. I would probably think, hmm, I won't do that, actually, because they're here, so I'll just leave it back in my bag. So, actually, I changed. I made the decision I'm not going to use my laptop for that, actually. It's a work one. I'll leave it for that. So, thank God for Ben, who, uh, you know, said it, because he could have easily not said something, but he wanted that to be different in my life, and I'm glad he did, because it did make a difference to me. So, when no one is watching you during your work, just have a quick think. If my boss was here right now, would I be doing this? Would I be looking at this news website, you know, on the on Internet Explorer at work? You know, because the work don't have anything against us using, you know, the internet. You know, but if my boss was here right now, would I be checking out the news? Or, you know, if they were if they were with us now, would we be talking for quite this long? You know, that conversation that's just a little like 30 second one, it becomes five minutes, it becomes ten minutes, it becomes fifteen minutes, it's all on someone else's payroll that are paying us to work. Would I be doing that if my boss was here? And you think, well, actually, no, I probably wouldn't. Yeah? If Jesus was standing with me, would I be standing at the clocking out thing? Have you got a clocking out thing at your work? At the hospital, they have hand ones. It's like something out of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, I don't know, whatever. Something later than 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> you have to put your hand in, it goes, and then people are allowed. And people, you see people running in, and then they run into 
the workplace and then when they leave again. But, you know, if Jesus was with you, would you be there one minute beforehand, you know, one minute before five, like this? And then at five o'clock, and then you're off out the door. Or do you think if Jesus was in with you that day, you'd be like, Jesus, I'm going to give my extra 15 minutes now. I'm just going to type up some extra things. And, you know, when your employer is not looking at you, do the best that you can be for them. That doesn't mean you have to spend hours after your shift there, but don't be the first one out of the door. Don't be the first, don't be the one that everyone says, oh yeah, I know him, he's the first one out the door. First one at the hand scanner, first one at the clock thingy. God wants to be honoured in your workplace. He wants you to be someone that brings him honour, even when your boss is not there. You know, this is about being real. It's about being real with God and real with people. You know, there is, there's three times in this passage that we just read at the start where Paul uses the same word. He says, do it for God out of your heart. Do it out of your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, serve single-heartedly, and do it out of a good heart. Those are the three things he said in this passage. Now, we can't, I can't give you a list of all the things that make you more, you know, be real at work. You know, only you know your work, and actually you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow at your work either. So what we need to do is not have a long list of, well, you can do this, but you can go to the hand scanner at three minutes past five. That's okay. You know, we're not trying to write a long list of legislation for us. That's not what God's like. God wants you to live out of your heart for him. In your heart, you will know. And if you stop for a second and ask God, God, Lord, what's the right thing to do in this moment? The Holy Spirit will help you. He'll talk to you and answer you, and you'll know what to do. You'll think, do you know what? I'm going to give another five minutes, actually, because I just feel it'd be good in this moment. And other times you won't, and the Lord will help you to do that. So live for God in your work from your heart. Okay, number three. Remember, we're nearly done. Remember. Remember. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. You know, as you're heading into work, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus as you're heading into work. As you're leaving work, remember him. That's part of what we're doing in this communion time that we're having in, uh, every day. Remembering Jesus. You know, as you're in your workplace, remember him and think, Lord, am I, am I working like I'm serving you? Like, I'm, like this, I'm working for you like God's my employer. You know, that you turn up and he's there. Remember Jesus, remember how he served God, his father, how he never gave up, but he always had time for people, how he did everything with all of his heart. So what does it mean to be wholehearted? Well, I, had a, uh, I just felt God speak to me about this and say, well, you know, there's a couple of opposites of wholehearted. So it's a good, good way of thinking about what, what does wholehearted mean? What's the opposite of that? Well, there's a couple. And one of them's half-hearted. You know that expression? Half-hearted. So what is it like half-hearted at work? It's like, uh, <sighs> <sighs> that's half-hearted. You know, it was, it's sort of like, oh, I'll, just, I'll give this, this the best. I, I've met the minimum requirements. There you go. Oh, they're always asking me to do extra stuff. I'll just do what, you know, whatever I can do. That's kind of half-hearted. It's a bit unenthusiastic. That was the word that I came up with that kind of summed it up. Bit fed up, bit bored. I'm going on to another job anyway. I'm looking for another job. I'm, I'll just, while I'm here for this last three months of working my notice, I'll just like, do the minimum I can manage to do. That's half-hearted. That's not wholehearted. And then there's another um, opposite of wholehearted, and that's this. It's brokenhearted. It's brokenhearted. And this is really important because you might think, why is that relevant for work? Well, it's relevant. It's very relevant. Because when we are wounded in our hearts, we can try and use work as a way of escaping home, 
and we can try and use work as a way of finding value in a time of great difficulty. And those things are mistakes because God wants you to be wholeheartedly after him. In our workplace, we're going to be wholehearted for Jesus. So that means that we don't need to use work as something that adds value to our lives and that gives us a sense of meaning because God is going to give us our sense of meaning. Isn't that good? So it means we won't get trapped in being stuck at work to find value because we're going to know, hey, God's my value. I know I can leave work and that it's going to be okay. When I'm supposed to go, I'll go and God's going to help me. And that's wholehearted, okay? So does it mean like we have to spend every waking hour there? No, it doesn't mean that. You know, God wants us to rest. So don't be there for too long. But when you are at work, give everything. Be wholehearted about what you do. Be enthusiastic about your work. That's one of the translations of this passage. He says, be enthusiastic in your service of the Lord. You know, when you go into work, on your way in, ask God for creativity. Ask God for creativity and ideas to make your work better. Ask him what you can do to suggest to make the workplace better. And do you know, um, if you think you're not a creative person, you are. You're an ideas person. Did you know that? I don't know if you know people who are like, oh, they're ideas people. You're an ideas person. God's an ideas person, and you're his son or daughter. You're an ideas person. You can be creative. You can come up with great suggestions at work. You can come up with solutions for things that nobody else can come up with solutions for. Isn't that good? You are those people. It's not like the bloke that always makes the suggestions at work or the lady that always makes the suggestions. That's you. You are creative and full of enthusiasm from God. So do you work in your home? Well, ask God to make you successful at what you do. Come up with ideas that will bless your home and your family. Be creative. Ask God for something new to do. Do you know what else on your way into work? Ask God for a promotion. You need to ask God for a promotion. Ask God for a pay rise. Don't complain about what you get paid. Ask God for a pay rise. Ask God for a promotion. Ask God to make you successful in your workplace. Do you know, someone's going to get a promotion and a pay rise. Why shouldn't it be you? We need godly people in our nation to rise up in every sphere of life. We need godly people in the government. We need godly people in sport. We need godly people in the military. We need godly people in business. That's you. Don't let someone else be the one that, you know, I'm not saying be over competitive and like try and drag people down, but trust God. Ask God for a promotion. Ask God for a pay rise. God wants you to succeed in your workplace. So in your workplace, be enthusiastic. Do you know what? You're being enthusiastic for God. It's not just about being enthusiastic for the man or woman who happens to be your manager that day. It's about being enthusiastic for God. This year, I asked God something different in my workplace. I asked him to make me valuable to the people that I work for. That's what I did at the start of the year. I said, God, I want to be valuable to the organizations that I work for. I want to add something to them so that they feel at the end of the year, hey, he's given something really useful. So I wrote down on a board all the things that I wanted to accomplish. And I gave them to God in prayer. I said, God, make me useful for the people that I work for. And, do you know, as a result of having that there, actually, I said yes to some things that they asked me to do that I really did not want to do. I just so did not want to do these two things, or three things it might have been, that I got asked to do. But I knew that they were going to be good for my boss if I did them. And, do you know, even when I did them, I didn't really enjoy them. <laughs> I've got to tell you the truth, not all work is enjoyable. If that is what you're hoping for from God, then I'm sorry, but sometimes work is just hard. It's just going to be hard. But when you're honoring God in it, you can do it even if it's hard. And so I did these projects, and Matt, that's one of them still going on. Matt, every time I see that teleconference come up on the, my diary, I'm like, oh, I hope it's cancelled. 
But it's really not for me. I did it because I want to be valuable for my employer because that honors God. And I'm serving my employer as if I'm serving Jesus. And you know, sometimes Jesus asks us to do things and they're hard to do, but we do them because we love him and we know it's the right thing to do. Sometimes your employer will ask you to do things. You don't like them. They don't suit you. They're not your career pathway. That's not what you want. Do you know what? Do them for Jesus. Serve your employer and do them for Jesus. Do you know, uh, we just went to parents' evening um, at school, and um, we were sitting listening to Noah's school report. And the te- you, know when something, you know when something just goes really well, and you're like, wow, this is just amazing. So it's so great. So we were listening to Noah's school report, and the teacher said, and as a believer, with, with your children, you want them to be good at maths and English and all the other good stuff that's useful for life, French, Latin, whatever. They don't do Latin at school, but anyway... They might do one day. So we want, you want them to be good at that, but really you're listening for certain other things, aren't you, for when the teachers are talking to you. You're wanting things that you know that God wants in their lives as well as those good stuff. So we're listening out for those character things, those things that are going to set the course for their whole life, whether they turn out to be scientists or footballers or whatever it is. And the teacher said, do you know what's great about Noah? He listens to instructions. And then once he's heard the instructions, he turns around And he starts doing the task so enthusiastically that whoever's sitting next to him at the table starts working hard. And, you know, I was just, I was like, oh, God, this is like a dream parents' evening. It's amazing. So I said, oh, yes, yes, that's great, lovely. It was really good. I said, oh, that's great. You know, that's good. That's what we really want. So, you know, be that person in your workplace Be the person that's so enthusiastic that other people around you just work hard by being caught up in your momentum. Give everything you, in those hours that you are there, give everything you've got for Jesus and give everything you've got to honor your employer. But remember, you can still go home at the right time because we've got different priorities in our life. And you might remember the five vision priorities. We talked about them a lot this year. What are they? Yeah. Us, yeah. Yeah. Family, ministry, and work. Good. So work is at five in that list. But listen, this is really important. Those things are not more or less important than each other. Okay? They are not a list of importance. Your work is 100% important to God. Your family is 100% important. This is not a list of importance. It's a list of priorities. Okay? So what that means is when two of those things clash together, in general, the one on the list that's higher is the one that should come out on top, okay? In general, your family should get priority over your workplace, yeah? Doesn't mean that you'll never stay late at your workplace when you wanted to be at home with your family ever, but in general, your life should look like that and my life should look like that. But it does not mean that God thinks your work is unimportant. Work is not some some like thing that's supposed to get done until you can come and do all the important spiritual stuff like read your Bible and go to city group, good as those things are, your work is important to God. He sees it. Do you know, there was work before the fall and there's going to be work in heaven and God cares about your work. It matters to him. And actually, if you work all your life until retirement, a third of your working life, waking hours are going to be spent at work. So that can't be something that we think God thinks is like second best. It's not second best. It's valuable to God. It matters to him. You, are, you matter to him and what you do matters to him. And we're going to see that now because number four, so that's three things we need to do. Revere our employer and our workplace for God's sake. 
be real there so that when they're looking at us, we're like we are if they're not looking at us. We're going to remember Jesus and be enthusiastic in what we do, but there's a reward. And what's the reward for our work? Yeah, good. Thanks, Andy. I knew someone would say it. So yeah, money. No, money's not the reward for your work. Money's something you earn, that you're owed by your employer. Okay, so it's good. We need that. Thank God for the money that we earn if we're in paid work. But actually, the reward of good work is from God. It's different to the money that we earn. That's from God too. But the reward is different because otherwise there wouldn't be a reward for unpaid work, would there? That would just all be meaningless. The reward from God is different to just money. It goes well beyond it. And the word for reward in this passage, actually, what it means is much closer to being taken care of. It means being carried. And actually, it means that everything that you did, you'll be repaid for one day. That's what that word means, reward. It means God will look after you and care for you. It means nothing that you did will ever go unrewarded, even if nobody saw it and your employer's eye wasn't on you. God sees it, and God's going to give you it back one day. That's the reward that's coming to us. Now, imagine how this must have felt. Imagine in the, the original days when they were listening to this, and the slaves were listening to this, right? People with no future, generally, and their whole lives were being given over to cleaning someone else's house or doing someone else's jobs, and the Lord says to them, there's a reward coming to you. Nothing that you've done has been unseen. Everything is going to come back to you. Isn't that amazing? And he says to the slaves, I'm going to take care of you. Your life is taken care of. You are not alone. You're not going to miss out. I'm going to take care of you. That's what this reward means. You know, last week, Ben talked about honoring our parents. It's going to smooth the path of our lives in front of us. That's the promise of God. Well, that's the same sort of sense in this word reward. Honoring our employer, working hard for them with enthusiasm for the Lord is going to smooth the way in front of us. God's going to carry us in our lives. Pastor Cesar Castellanos, who's the father of the church family that we're part of, many years ago, right at the beginning of a season of his life, he felt God say this to him, take care of my work and I'll take care of you. Take care of my work and I'll take care of you. Isn't that amazing? If you take care of God's work for you, that means your work in your paid employment and your work serving the Lord in all the other ways you do, God's going to take care of you. You don't need to work out of fear, out of fear that you won't have enough. God is going to take care of you. Isn't that great? There's a great reward for you. Okay. So we're going to revere God. How are we going to revere God in our workplace? Turn up. That's going to help. Yep. Turn out well. Turn in, get some rest. Turn around and speak differently in your work. We're going to revere God. We're going to be real as if Jesus was right there with us. We're going to remember Jesus when we go in. We're working for him. And we're going to get, yeah, you're going to get rewards. It's not wrong to look for a reward from God. Did you know that? It's right. Jesus promises reward all the way through his words in the Gospels. There's reward coming for those who follow him and who honor him. It's good. Be, be glad. Lots of people think there's no reward coming for them. Well, you're good news in the world. There's good rewards. And you know, the word that says all the good things that you've done in that verse, it doesn't just mean the actions you do. It also means the intentions of your heart. 
When you meant well to do something and nobody saw it, that's going to come back to you one day. When you thought well of your employer or you thought better of doing something and you didn't say something and you could have done, God sees that and it's going to come back to you one day. Isn't that amazing? That's a reward that's coming to you. Praise God. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us. Let's just close our eyes and in this moment, just let God speak to us. Holy Spirit, we pray, come and touch our hearts now as we stand here in your presence. Lord, we we see that responding to your words today will radically change our nation. If we can live like this, it will touch our workplaces, it will change our homes, it will change our walks with you. If we can respond in this way, it's going to change our nation. It's going to change the destiny of our nation and our future. So Lord, we see that this is so important. Father, first of all, God, we want to say sorry for where we have not honored you in our workplaces. Lord, I want to say sorry for where I've not honored you. Lord, we want to say sorry to you where we have been half-hearted in our attitude toward our work. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy towards us. Lord, we pray right now where where the Holy Spirit is just bringing up memories of things in our lives where we've been half-hearted towards our employer or we've been half-hearted in the way that we spoke. As he brings those things to mind now, just say to the Lord quickly, God, I'm sorry for that. God, forgive me for that. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. It's all taken on the cross. You know, God sees this and he takes it seriously. Did you know? This is not just like a kind of extra thing that we're just kind of fitting into this series. This is important to God. Make these things right with God in this moment. Actually, I just feel in the Holy Spirit that, and that there are people here who actually, you need to make things right in your work. That there's something you need to do that is ongoing and actually you need to fix it to honor your employer. Maybe, it's, maybe you've kind of taken stuff from work and you've not thought much of it because everybody did it. But you know, God sees that and he wants you to honor him in that. He wants you to give that back. He wants you to be honest and real. Maybe it's that you've not honored God in the way that you've handled money at work or the way that you've handled people, whatever it might be. I really feel now the Holy Spirit is speaking to people and saying, there's something you need to do to get right with God, to get right with me in your workplace. As that comes to your mind now, make a note of it. Say to God, yes, God, I want to do that. Yes, Lord, I want to change in that way. And God, I pray as well for us where our hearts have been broken. And because of woundedness in our hearts, work has become something that we don't handle well. We either do too much of it because we're afraid that we're not going to have enough or we just are using it as a way of escaping from what else is in our lives. Lord, forgive us for that. God, we're sorry where we've used work as a way of getting value in our lives when actually our value comes from Jesus and from knowing you. Our value comes from the cross and the fact that you laid down everything for us. You gave everything for us that we might live. And so, Lord, 
today we want to find our value in you. Lord, I want to pray for broken hearts to be healed this morning right now. Lord, I pray where we're connected to work in the wrong way, where we overwork or where we use it as a a source that isn't your well for us, your well of water for our lives. God, forgive us and open our eyes. Show us really simply where that is in our lives and how we can make a difference and change that. There's, there's lots of things that people are thinking of now that are coming to our minds. It's really important that you remember them. So, you know, right at the end of the service, you write them down or write them down now. Remember what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and have faith in God and do the things that he's putting on your heart right now. You know, sometimes a really wise thing is that often the first voice you hear, that's God speaking. In these moments, when we ask God to speak, the first thing that comes is often God. And then after that, there's a voice after that, which is often our own mind, you know, of, oh, no, you know, that's okay. Or, no, that's too silly. You're being ridiculous or whatever it might be. But the first voice often that comes is God. So listen to that voice and respond to God. Say, Lord, I'm going to make a change to that. Tomorrow when I go into work or whenever I'm next in work, I'm going to make this different. Father, I pray for us to be the most enthusiastic group of workers that have ever hit this city. Lord, I pray this week that we would arrive in offices, houses, workplaces, our own homes, schools, kitchens. God, I pray we would arrive in these places filled with you, filled with remembering Jesus. God, I want to pray this week that ideas and creativity would come to many of us that will solve problems in our workplaces. God, I pray that we would become people that our employers say, is that person in today? Oh, thank God, I'm so glad that they're here because I know that I'm going to get something good when that person comes into work. God, may may we be a revolutionary people, radical in our workplace. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with the ability to make change in the places that we work. God, we pray, make our tongues always filled with grace in our conversation. God, change the way we are at work. Change the conversation at work. God, I pray we'd be like we heard Noah was at school. God, people that when we come in and set ourselves to a task, other people work hard around us just as a result of our spirit and our honor towards you. God, I pray for those who are in really difficult work situations with very difficult people that they work for, people who are not righteous and not godly. And Lord, we speak out now. We believe that calling in sick is not the answer. You are the answer to those situations. God, we pray that you would bring the breakthrough in hard situations at work. You would bring the breakthrough where we are unhappy, God, that you would bring a change and that you would show us how to take action in our situations. And God, we pray that as we do this, as we remember Jesus in our workplace, it would change the course of our nation. God, we believe in the time coming up to this general election that our workplace relationships They're going to steer the course of our nation in a different direction to the one that it's going in. God, we believe that if the future of our nation hangs in the balance, then we can fight for it. God, we believe it's us who will fight for our nation. God, help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.